above uh, uh, involves a character who faces impossible odds, back against the wall, don't know what to do, seems like just certain doom that they don't know what to do. We love stories like that. Consider for a moment Rocky IV, all right? Rocky IV is one of the great movies of my childhood. I know Rocky won the best picture. He uh, won, won it the year uh, I was born. I'm 42, but Rocky IV is one of the great uh, movies of my generation. Rocky goes off against a, a Russian fighter named Drago, and you have to remember that uh, th- this was the 1980s, and there's some tension over there right now, but the tensions in the 1980s, you know, sound like an old man. When I was a kid, you know, it, it just felt worse. It felt nuclear at, at that time, and the, the Rocky IV movie, if if you ever watch it again, it is a subset of that tension. So you watch, you watch that movie and you can just feel the tension, the American uh, versus the Russian, and it would appear that Rocky is in this impossible situation. Drago is bigger, he has better workout facilities, he's stronger. Rocky is training in a shack in the middle of Siberia, but somehow he manages, manages to overcome uh, incredible obstacles, and spoiler alert, he wins the fight. All right. Um, consider with me just for a moment Captain Underpants. I, um, you've heard of Captain Underpants, surely. He's a superhero that my seven-year-old uh, has gotten into recently. And here's a description of Captain Underpants in the back of almost every book. Ridiculously enthusiastic and incredibly dim-witted. Uh, he's a superhero uh, named Captain Underpants. And so you would think that a guy like Captain Underpants, who is uh, ridiculously enthusiastic and incredibly dim-witted, uh, that when he comes across someone so cunning uh, and so bright, like Professor Poopy Pants, um, <laughs> that there'd be no way he could survive. But somehow Captain Underpants, with the help of George and Harold, finds a way to overcome and rescue the day and save the world. And for a seven-year-old to read a book where uh, kids save the day, it just really scratches an itch for him. He's like, yeah, kids are awesome, you know? Um, Maybe something a little more classic would appeal to you. Consider just for a moment Moby Dick. Uh, It's been made into a movie and books uh, a bunch since it was written in the the 1880s, excuse in the 1800s, excuse me. Uh, Let me read to you a little description of this book. It says, Captain Ahab has a vendetta against Moby Dick, the great white whale responsible for taking his leg. He sets out on a treacherous sea voyage along with a crew including Starbuck, Father Maple, and Ishmael to hunt down the elusive beast. With reckless abandon, Ahab leads the crew on his obsessive and suicidal quest, anxious for a final showdown with the legendary white whale. Yes, right? We love stories like this, whether it's Rocky or Captain Underpants or Ahab and the whale. We love what seems like an impossible situation, what seems like a no-win situation. We love stories like this, where someone's back is against the wall. There is nowhere to turn. It feels like certain doom, and that is exactly what our story is like today. So I'm excited to preach this message, right? So you can open up your Bibles uh, to Daniel 6. Daniel 6. Let me give you a little background on this text that I think is going to help actually put some of the Old Testament together for you if you've ever found the Old Testament confusing. As a result uh, of a civil disagreement back in the Old Testament, uh, the kingdom of Israel uh, was broken up into two. The northern kingdom was called Israel, and the southern kingdom was called Judah, all right? And so a lot of times when you're reading your Old Testament, you'll see it talking about Israel and talking about Judah, and that can be kind of 
kind of confusing, but as a result of this civil kind of disagreement, they were broken into two. And in 733 BC, the Assyrians come in, came in and defeated the north, all right? Took them captive. In 586 BC, uh, the Babylonians came in and they defeated the south. Now, the Babylonians had an interesting strategy whenever they would defeat a community, is they would take the best and the brightest of the community and they would bring them over to Babylon and they would try to teach them and uh, uh, infiltrate them into the Babylon way. And the hope is that they would become advocates for their own people about the ways of Babylon. So you kind of get the best and the brightest, the smartest, and you teach them uh, the way Babylon lives, and the hope is that they would advocate for that position. As a side note, years later, the Romans uh, kind of learned from this, and the Romans at the time that Jesus came uh, onto earth, that they didn't uh, take people out of their community, but they still learned from this, and they, they put uh, Jewish people in prominent positions of authority with the same idea, that they would hold influence over their people and essentially work, work for Rome. So one of the great storylines of, of Judaism in the Old Testament is how do you keep your faith in a situation like this? When all of these people ended up in Babylon and they're hearing these Babylonian message, messages, they're, they're, uh, uh, they're seeing all this stuff, how do you keep your values, your beliefs, your faith, your ideas, when all of this outside influence is being kind of jammed down your throat? Am I preaching yet? Right? If you are a Christian, this ought to sound very familiar to you because you're like, I, I kind of feel this way sometimes. I feel like there's all of these messages, all of these ideas that are kind of being bombarded against me on TV and in media. And maybe you've had this thought. How do I keep my faith? How do I keep my values? How do I can keep my Christ-centered belief system when all of this stuff is being pushed down my throat? You should read the book of Daniel. You really should. It's a great book for this. As a matter of fact, uh, this is like a major like teaser alert, but I think like in a year and a half, Scott's going to do a series on this. I know that's forever away, so you might want to read it before that, but uh, Scott would really like to do a Daniel series sometime because, sometime because it so speaks to the culture that we're in. And this is Daniel. He's trying to keep his faith. He's trying to keep his belief in God. He's trying to stay faithful in the middle of very, in the middle of very difficult circumstances, and he's doing very well at it. Um, not only is he keeping his faith, but he's excelling professionally. Let me put on the screen for you uh, what the book of Daniel says about him. It says, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now that's a promotion, right? He's doing so well, and at the same time, he's keeping his faith. But he's doing so well that the king planned to kind of put him over the whole kingdom. This is a very, very good thing for Daniel. Uh, this is not a very, very good thing if you are a fellow administrator or a fellow satrap that would like to have this said about him, that I'd like to be over the whole kingdom. Now Daniel's going to be over the whole kingdom. Uh, this, this is not a good thing for those guys. They, they get jealous. As a matter of fact, check out what happens next. It says that this... The administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy um, and neither corrupt nor negligent. All right? 
So I thought I would try to convey into words exactly what this must have looked like for these uh, administrators and satraps to try to kind of trick Daniel and to, 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 to uh, you know, get him in trouble and all of that. And so I ended up finding myself among the biblical scholars of VeggieTales, all right? Um, some of you may remember VeggieTales. I think they're actually still producing them for Netflix. But years ago, uh, VeggieTales came out, and the idea was that they were going to teach children the Bible uh, using vegetables. Very ingenious idea, all right? Um, and so they did Daniel back in 1993. Uh, they, they did this, and I wanna show you this kind of scene of the administrators and the satraps trying to find a way to get Daniel, and I've been asked to give you a disclaimer, all right? Um, this came out uh, before about three quarters of our tech team were alive. Um, and so the, the, the video on this is not great. It's, it's 1993, all right? But I, I, we understand it's not great, so don't think there's something wrong. It's just 1993 video, and uh, we'll go ahead and show it to you right now. The king likes Daniel more than me and you. Oh no, what we gonna do? We gotta get him out of here. Oh no, what we gonna do? We gotta get him out of here. Oh no, what we gonna do? The king likes Daniel more than me and you. Oh no, what we gonna do? We gotta get him out of here. Watch him eat a hungry crocodile We could put him on a camel's back And send him off to Ur With a cowboy hat without a brim of food without a spur Oh, we could give him jelly donuts Take him all away Or we could fill his ears with cheese balls And his nostrils with sore pain. We could use him as a footstool Or a table to play Scrabble on Then tie him up and beat him up And throw him out of Babylon So they're trying to figure out what to do with Daniel and uh, I understand some of the lyrics may have been hard to catch. Let me put them up on the screen for you. We could give him jelly donuts, take them all away, or fill his ears with cheese balls and his nostrils with sorbet. We could use him as a footstool or, uh, or a table to play Scrabble on, then tie him up and beat him up and throw him out, out, of, out of Babylon. All right, so they're trying to figure out what, what are we gonna do with this Daniel guy, and what they come up with uh, is so deceptive and so cunning. They, they end up taking him, uh, going to the king, and they get the king to make an unreversible, irreversible law that anyone who prayed to any other god or any other human for the next 30 days, except for the king, uh, they would be thrown into a lion's den. And they knew how devout Daniel was, and they knew how faithful Daniel was, and they knew this would be an issue for him. They, he was Jewish. He prayed and worshiped God alone. It was one of the Ten Commandments. Um, and he refused, of course he refused, to worship and pray to the king, and the king was stuck. This was, I can get into all the details of this, but it was an irreversible law. He was stuck, and there was really nothing he could do, and so let me show you what happened next. Daniel 6, uh, starting in verse 16. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. 
A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, uh, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouth of the lion. Uh, They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, uh, nor have I done anything wrong before you, uh, your majesty. And then the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, uh, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in, thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and their children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. You probably won't want to read that part of it to your children. All right. Uh, All right. So. An angel uh, shut the mouth of the lion, right? Um, now, we're, we're zoo people. I don't know if you are. We're zoo people and aquarium people. We enjoy it. And so this kind of headline caught my attention a, a while back. Lion escapes from the enclosure of the Belgium Zoo. Lion escapes from the enclosure. Now, if you're at the Belgium Zoo uh, on the day that the lion escapes, let me tell you what you're not doing. You're not stopping on your way to the car for cotton candy. Right? You're, you're not stopping and, and looking at the monkeys, although the monkeys are adorable and awesome. Right? What you're doing is you're moving as fast as you can, and you're going to your car, you're getting in your car, and you're locking your car, because we all understand how big and powerful and dangerous lions can be. And I would love to see how this played out. I don't know about you. I said this last Sunday. This is one of those replay moments for me. Uh, that at some point I'd love to see this replayed because we have this image in our culture of, baby, uh, of uh, angels being these cute babies in diapers with, with harps. And I, I think that that's not really accurate <laughs> uh, because uh, angels most often tell people when they appear to them, hey, do not be afraid. So there's something about them that immediately el- elicits fear. And I think this story lends credence to the idea that angels are strong and powerful. They're able to shut the mouth of the lion, but I'm getting ahead of myself just a little bit. Let's talk about this story for a minute. Let's talk about what this story is about, and then we're going to kind of get into God's role in this. That This story is, first of all, on the screen for you, is a story about the mistreatment of others. This is about administrators and satraps that want to hurt Daniel. They connived against him. They, they, uh, they, they executed their plan flawlessly, honestly, and maybe you can relate. Maybe you can relate to Daniel's story in some small way that someone in your life has hurt you, or somebody in your life has lied about you or somebody in your life has used you. And and you have a hard time even thinking about that moment still because it still makes you so angry. It's like, man, the way they lied about me, the way they hurt me, the way they connived against me, the way they tricked me. You still think about it, even in this very moment, you still think about that moment and you feel anger and you feel bitterness. This story's about that. Daniel knows exactly how you feel to be connived against and to be uh, ganged up on and to be lied about. It's it's a story about mistreatment of others. This story is also about the trouble that doing the right thing can cause, right? Daniel's troubles were connected to his faith and connected to his integrity. And sometimes, some of you know this, doing the right thing, doing the noble thing, doing the godly thing, sometimes that causes trouble in your life. 
right? When your boss orders you, orders you to do something that you know is wrong, it causes trouble. When you make a, a change based on your faith and your family disagrees with it, it can cause faith. When you and your spouse are on different pages about a decision that you're trying to make, trouble can come. Daniel understands this, that his troubles were a, in direct correlation to his strong faith, that he believed in God, he followed God. He said, I am not gonna worship anyone but God, I'm gonna follow the 10 commandments. And his troubles came as a result of him doing the right thing. And some of you maybe feel that way. It's like, man, you're frustrated by it, that I've been just trying to do the right thing. I've been trying to do the good thing. I've been trying to do the noble thing. And I'm getting into all this trouble because of doing the right thing. And it's frustrating. This story is about that. But most of all, this story is about God. It is a story about his justice, that in the end, the evildoers, I love saying evildoers, right? They get what's coming to them. This is a story about God's power. Right? God as our king stands in direct contrast to the king of the story, that the king was powerless to do anything about his own law. He couldn't even change his own law, but God, God is not restrained and God is not restricted. And so God demonstrates his power in an incredible way. But beyond that, this is a story about God's protection. That God sent an angel to Daniel in the lion's den and the angel shut the mouth of the lion, and I think Daniel was able to live his life of integrity and live his life of obedience because he believed this very thing about God. He believed God was a God of protection. Do you? Do you believe this about God, that he is a God of protection? He is a God of justice that is tied to his protection. He is a God of help that is tied to his protection. Our God is a God of protection. And it's true for Daniel. Daniel had the big moment with the angel coming down, shutting the mouth of the lion, and we may not ever have a huge dramatic event like that. I believe angels are working a variety of ways, but I do know this truth is, that this truth is true for all of us. God is a God of protection. Let me show you a psalm that I love. I love this psalm uh, because this is all about the protection of God. Let me, sh let me show you how it goes. It says, um, Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither uh, will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. Absorb those words. Absorb them for a minute because some of you feel like Daniel. You feel like you're going through hardship, you feel like you're going through pain, you feel like you're going through difficulty. Allow Psalm 121 to just wash over you. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Now one of the lines in the Psalm is the Lord will keep you from all harm. And I did a little research on this, and it's not the best translation. Let me show you what I think is a better translation of this text, then we're gonna talk through this a little bit. A better translation is this, God is standing guard. 
That when it comes to your life, if you think about your life as a kingdom or a castle, that God is up in the watchtower. God is standing guard. And so let me tell you what, what is true about our God of protection who stands guard. First of all, I want you to know he sees. He sees that this goes back to a time when these great cities would be surrounded by a wall or a watchtower and they would put a guard up in that watchtower and he had one order, just one, don't fall asleep. Do not fall asleep. I could never do this, all right? When I need to sleep, I just fall asleep, right? I could never be in the watchtower. You don't want me guarding over your house, you're gonna find me asleep on your front lawn uh, in in the morning, all right? The one rule was do not fall asleep. And so the writer of the psalm says, listen, you need to know as God is your God of protection, understand this, he never falls asleep. God doesn't need sleep. He watches over you. He sees what's going on. Here's what that means. That injustice that's been done to you, like Daniel, the injustice that's been done to you, here's what that means. God sees it. God sees it. He sees what they did. That hardship you're trying to make it through when you just feel like you're putting one step in front of another, God sees that. He sees what's been done. The wrong done in your family, you think, they, you think maybe everybody in your family, think no one saw this. No one saw it. And part of our angst and our anger is somebody needs to see this. Right? That's why we get so angry and so frustrated. And the psalmist wants to remind us, God saw it. God sees And you think about the story of Daniel. They think they're being so sneaky and so conniving in the Daniel story. They think nobody sees what we're doing. Nobody could see what we're doing from a mile away. God saw. God saw it. I had kind of an interesting experience um, in Joplin a couple weeks ago. I was invited to this preaching uh, writing workshop. There was a group of like 15 of us. And uh, the guy that I knew uh, that invited me, I've known him since I was a child. And he serves in the Joplin area, and he invited a group of us down to share sermon ideas and to get ideas from each other, and it was, it was really cool. But we went to lunch one day, and the guy that I've known forever, his name's Mark, and Mark said to me, um, hey, Steve, I'm trying to remember kind of your story. How old were you when your mom passed away? And we, we started talking about it. I said, I was 17. He said, I thought you were still in high school. And this guy that I had just met that was also on the retreat, he like turned like suddenly, and he said, he said, your mom died when you were 17? I said, and like kind of pointed his finger. I said, yeah, she did. He said, what happened? He said, what happened? I said, it was a brain aneurysm. She died very quickly. And this guy that I had, that I had just met, he kind of pointed a finger at me. He said, I can't imagine the pain that must have caused you. He had tears in his eyes. And I was like, man, I, I'm not going to pour my heart out to this guy because I just met him, but I kind of want to right? He was so good at it. And it was a reminder to me pastorally that sometimes we feel like we have to solve everybody's problems. And every once in a while, people just want to know you see. People just want to know, I see that that hurt. I see that that was painful. I see that that was difficult. And that's our God, right? When you're going through something hard, when you're going through something difficult, when somebody connives and conspires against you, when they do you harm, here's the first thing I want you to know. God sees it. God sees it. But God doesn't just see it. God responds. Right? God sees and God responds. His response is his role as protector, that he protects his people. And sometimes God responds through supernatural delivery. Sometimes God sends an angel. 
who shuts the mouth of the lion. We'll see this in a, in a few weeks as well uh, when an angel is gonna bust the apostle Peter out of jail. He's in jail, God doesn't want him in jail. He sends an angel, busts him out, right? And it's an amazing story. Sometimes God sees our pain or sees the wrong done to us and he delivers us from it. He just supernaturally delivers it. Sometimes God delivers us in a different way though. Sometimes his delivery is through his sustainment. And this is in the story of Daniel as well. Let me put this up on the screen for you. God didn't deliver him from the lion's den. Daniel still went to the lion's den, all right? So God didn't deliver him from the lion's den. God gave him what he needed to survive the lion's den. Let me say this another way that I just thought of when I was going through my notes this morning. God didn't deliver him from the lion's den. God delivered him through the lion's den. But God still delivered him. Right, so Daniel still had to go to the lion's den, but God sends an angel to shut the lion's mouth. God's protection for you does not mean that you're never gonna face a lion's den. You are, I am. God's protection does not mean that you're never gonna face a lion's den. Jesus said, and one of the things Jesus said that he's not quoted on very often, but Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Jesus promised this for us. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So he said, I'm gonna deliver you, and sometimes I'm gonna deliver you from the lion's den, and we all could probably tell stories about that, where it's like, this thing was coming, and I just was delivered from it. Sometimes you're delivered through the lion's den, and sometimes you have to go through that, and God empowers you, and helps you, and gives you the energy you need, and the faith that you need to make it through. So you might be in your den right now, and you might be wondering this. You wouldn't say it this way, so allow me to say it for you. It's like, God, why aren't you protecting me? God, why aren't you doing your job? Why aren't you delivering me? Why aren't you rescuing me? And God's protection for you right now might look a whole like sustainment. God is gonna give you every good thing you need to survive the lion's den. He didn't, he's not gonna allow you to go into that lion's den and leave you on your own. He's gonna give you every good thing that you need to survive the lion's den. Encouragement, yes. Internal power and grit, yes. Faith, yes. Resources, yes. These are all things that God gives his children in the middle of the den to survive it and even thrive in it. And you might wonder why on earth would God sustain rather than deliver, right? This is a question I get asked, not exactly this way, but it's like, if, God can, if God's delivery looks, uh, is, is sometimes a supernatural delivery and other times it's a sustainment, why would God choose sustainment over delivery? Right, why would God not just deliver me from these circumstances? And in this story of Daniel and the lion's den, we get to see behind the curtain a little bit as to why. Why God allows Daniel to go to the den in the first place. Uh, because of the lion's den, directly because of the lion's den, first of all, the king of the whole country, the king comes to full faith because of what happened in the lion's den. That's amazing. Because of the lion's den, the wrongdoers, the evildoers, they come to justice. And because of the lion's den, Daniel ends up in a place of incredible blessing because of the work God did in the den. What if the path to the most incredible blessings of your life are through the den. That you have to survive and make it through the den, but on the other side of the den are the most incredible blessings you can imagine. But the path through it goes through the den. 
This is Daniel's story, right? God sustained him in the den. God sustained him and delivered him through that sustainment. And it was on the other side of the den that Daniel received blessing upon blessing upon blessing. See, God is a God of protection. He is. And that means sustainment. It means delivery. It means justice. All of those things play out in this story. But the way this is applied to each character in the story is a little bit different. So let me show you how this idea that God sees and God responds. God sees and God responds. Sometimes we wish his response was our delivery. Sometimes it's our sustainment. But God always responds. God sees and God responds. This is going to be applied to each member of this story in a different way. Let me show you the first one. Mistreaters... Right? The evildoers, the mistreaters, need to be warned. That if you're harming others, and you're betraying others, and you're uh, injuring others, look at me, God sees it. God sees it. God sees what you're doing. God sees it, and he's going to respond. He may already be responding. Now, if that's you... If you're injuring and hurting others and you're responding to them in, a, in an ill way, um, listen, God also wants to respond to you with grace. That if you will turn to him and you will repent, God is gracious and God is compassionate. But the first group was the, the guys that were kind of conniving against Daniel. It would have been good for them to have been warned. Right? Maybe somebody did. I'm not sure we should be doing this. Now we're going to do it anyway. Maybe they were warned, but that, that's the first kind of thing is that mistreaters need to be warned that if you're hurting people and you're injuring people, God sees, right? The second thing is the king needs to be motivated by it. I don't know, as you read the whole story, I'd encourage you to do this later today. The king is clearly on the fence about his faith throughout the story, right? Um, what, one of uh, uh, one of the things that I love at the end of the story is how by the end of the story, the king comes to this moment of full faith. Let me show you what it says. He says, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and revere the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So the king kind of has this opportunity to see, man, God sees and God responds. He's a God of protection. He's a God of justice. He's a God who responds to his people. And he is so moved by that, that he comes to full faith. And I love how at the beginning of the story, he's getting ready to put Daniel in the lion's den. And here's how he says it. He says, may your God, uh, whom you serve, may he rescue you. Right? You hear the kind of fence? He's on the fence. So I, I hope your God does something because otherwise you're, you're about to be killed. And he liked Daniel. That's why he was so tormented. He liked Daniel. He says, may your God respond. And by the end of it, He's like, man, we all got to serve this God. We all got to love this God. We all got to put our faith in this, in, the, in this God. So he has this transition to full faith. And my prayer for you is if you are, are like that king and you're on the fence, my prayer for you is that you would see God, how he sees and how he responds, and that you would come to him in full faith, just like this king did that you put your faith in Jesus wholly and completely. So the king needs to be motivated by it, and Daniel needs to trust it. The greatest thing you can do in the middle of your lion's den, I know this is hard, because I've been in a few dens myself, the greatest thing you can do in the middle of the den is trust God. 
is trust God. Trust his protection. Trust his sustainment. Trust that he's going to do what we need when we need it. Sometimes that's going to mean facing some unpleasant things, but we will never, look at me, we will never face them alone. You will never face your dent alone. God's either going to deliver you or sustain you. He's going to do one of the two, but he's never going to leave you alone. He's going to be with you every step of the way. And, And the hardest thing to do in the middle of the den is to trust that God has a plan and God has a purpose and God knows what he's doing. And my role in the story is Daniel's role. My role in the story is not to bring myself delivery, to not to bring myself sustainment. My role in the story, we see Daniel as a great example of it, is to trust God. It's to trust him. Trust him, you know, can you imagine being dragged to the lion's den, thrown into the lion's den, and you're just wondering what's gonna happen? Trusting God every step of the way because God is a God of protection. He's gonna be there. I think one of the places that I see this most clearly is in the story of the cross. That when Jesus was going to the cross, he was not saved from the cross, right? He went to the cross. He paid for our sins so that we could be forgiven and know God in this life and the next. So he wasn't saved from the cross, but Jesus was saved through the cross. And here's what I mean by that. Three days later, he was, risen, he, he was raised again. And he brought about our salvation through his death, burial, and, and resurrection. And, and it's, an, it's an incredible thing that, that he... Uh, you know, who, who would have blamed Jesus for saying, I, I don't want to go to the cross, but he never did that. The perfect son of God never did that. Didn't have a thing that needed to be forgiven, but he refused to be safe from it. He submitted to it. And instead, three days later, he was resurrected and, and brought our salvation with him. And that's, the, that's one of the best examples. That, that was kind of Jesus's den, if you will, is that he went to that den, he trusted the father the entire time, and he brought about an incredibly uh, an incredible thing, an incredible blessing to the entire world. I mean, salvation to the entire world is a pretty big blessing. Jesus brought about that by being faithful. So I don't know what God's going to do in your story, but here's what I want to encourage you with. Stay faithful. Don't give up. Stay faithful. God's going to give you what you need. God's going to be with you. He's not going to just drop you in there and leave you on your own, send an angel. He'll send whoever. He's going to protect you in that way. And sometimes he's going to deliver you in that way but he's always gonna be with you and he has a plan and he has a purpose. And that's an amazing thing. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your grace in the den. I would guess that there's some people here right now in the middle of a den facing angry, hungry lions and they don't know what to do. Lord, we know that you are a God of protection and that you are with us. Help us to remember that right now. As we get ready to enter into a time of communion, help us to remember that part of your mission and purpose was to be with us, Emmanuel, God with us. So you are with us. We are not alone. We, we, are, we are going through this with the power of your Holy Spirit. And so help us right now to renew our faith. For those that are feeling crushed by their circumstances, Renew their faith. Right now, Lord, renew their faith. For those thinking about giving up, renew their faith. For those thinking about walking away from you because this is too hard, renew their faith. For those thinking about maybe no longer doing the church thing, and I just just don't want to be 
just want to be by myself, renew their faith. For those that are discouraged and distraught and angry and wanting to see justice done and not understanding why, where you are, why you didn't deliver, why you're sustaining instead of delivering. For anyone in this room that doesn't understand what you're doing, renew our faith. Renew our faith, renew our faith, renew our faith. Because in the middle of the den, God, we need you more than ever. It's in the den that we need you the most, and you're there. We know you're there, but sometimes our anger and our fear and our anxiety and our frustration causes us to turn away from you. And right now in this moment, I want to ask you to renew our faith so that we'll turn back and we'll see that you've been there the entire time. We thank you for Jesus and his example of the cross and how he reminds us to stay faithful, to stay faithful to you in all things and that blessing, incredible blessing comes. It is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. We're gonna receive communion right now. We're gonna receive it together and it is a reminder to stay faithful. Do not give up, do not turn away. Do not, do not quit on God. And uh, so we'll, we'll pass uh, communion out, the two cups stacked on top of each other. One has some bread representing Jesus' body. The other has some juice representing his blood. And this is an opportunity for us to express our gratitude, first of all, to Jesus for what he did, for, for staying faithful and going up that hill and going to the cross and, and giving himself in that way for our salvation, to express gratitude. But this is also a time for us to express Man, Jesus, I want to be like you in this way, in every way, but I want to be like you. I don't want to give up. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to give up. I don't want to turn my back. Are you kidding me? I'm not, I don't want to turn my back. I don't want to lose faith. I don't want to throw in the towel. I don't, I don't want to give up. And so right now, Jesus, make me like you. Give me a grit. Give me a will. Give me an internal uh, engine to keep moving forward. Help me, Jesus, to never give up. And that's part of what we do right now, too, is we celebrate what Jesus did, and then we ask God to make us like him.